Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. No Marcus Smart, no Malcolm Brogdon, no problem. Luke Cornett reverse dunked the Celtics into their eighth straight win, and Chris Forsberg from NBC Sports Boston is here to talk all about it next on First to the Floor. Well, it's going to be first to the floor here, and it was Marcus Smart as he usually is. That's the first time we've seen a superstar in green and white sacrifice the body. Hey, hey, welcome into another episode of First to the Floor. Ben Vallis here. Thank you for joining us. Hope you're doing well. We've got a fun little post-game pod for you tonight. The Celtics getting their eighth win in a row, defeating the Hawks of Atlanta in Atlanta. Spoonie and Jake are both here, but joining us to talk all about this one, a very special guest from NBC Sports Boston and host of the Celtics Talk podcast, Chris Forsberg. Forsberg, welcome. How you doing, sir? What up, y'all? What's going down? Uh, you know, just yeah, celebrating yeah, yeah. the uh, the eighth consecutive win of the Celtics, and have we, have we started printing finals tickets yet? Oh yeah, is, is absolutely. That mm-hmm. Started booking. I'm doing it at four and three. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. So look, something Forsberg that's been uh, something of a theme here for the Celtics early in the season is the maturity and I guess this mm. ability to find a way to win. Tonight, no Malcolm Brogdon, no Marcus Smart. Leaving a lot of us, I think, rightfully thinking, uh-oh, we might be in trouble here against uh, what has been a pretty good Hawks team thus far. Uh, not mm-hmm. the case at all, really, as the Celtics easily, like we said, notched their eighth consecutive win. Chris Forsberg, what was the method here for the Celtics? How did they find a way to win uh, in this particular instance? Uh, have an awesome bench with guys like Hauser who just make you forget yeah. that you ever had bench woes last year. <laughs> like, isn't it crazy? You talk about the maturation and certainly like the overarching theme is like just how everybody has taken steps forward and most notably Jason Tatum and being the MVP candidate like he has been so far. But it's like it, what blows my mind is it, it, it was like three months ago, right, that one the Celtics couldn't dribble the basketball without kicking it into the third row and their bench sucked. And now, like, neither of those things are true. And normally teams don't fix things that quickly, uh, let alone have a historic offense and start the season 12 and 3. And it's all pretty preposterous. So uh, it, it, it it's nights like this where I felt like Tatum looked like a dude who was sick of playing 40 minutes and didn't want to have to grind to, yeah. to, to, to get buckets. And, you know, like, he's he's earned that right to have a couple nights like that. Uh, and yet, what a luxury to be able to take – Sam Hauser and Peyton Pritchard, who was stacking up DNPs like crazy and, uh, and, and get to the finish line of a game like that. Not only get to the finish line, but be up 31 at one point. Like yeah. they've, they've, they've won a lot of different ways, but they haven't really blown teams doors off 
consistently and to do it against a team that, like you said, we're all sitting there thinking, ah, this might get dicey because no Malcolm and no smart to defend this backcourt. And it really wasn't ever dicey. So uh, shout out to this team. I don't know. I don't know what they did for three months, except like be angry and, and like yell at themselves or what, but they're like, they're like a team possessed right now. They, they just have a, a clear goal and they're hell bent on doing it. There was a Derek White, Grant, Hauser, Cornette, Pritchard lineup <laughs> in the third, and they extended the lead. It's just like Derek White was kicking DeJounte Murray's ass. Underrated revenge angle. Mm, I didn't think of Spurs, until- Spurs bench yeah, angle. Yeah, it's like, yeah. oh, you got traded for three firsts? I'm kicking your ass tonight. And he took Hold his on, lunch could, money. Could that bench lineup beat the Lakers? <laughs> yes. Definitely. 100%, right? Yeah, not even a question. Can you imagine saying that last year? Like (laughs) any group combination that the Celtics could trot out there, would you think they could beat like a G League team? No way. Now we're like, they could take down LeBron and AD at this point, the way they're playing. It's wild. Yeah, and I mean, Derek White was, it's like we didn't even miss Smart. He gave you a classic Smart Mm. game with the two questionable step backs that he made, uh, 10 assists. (laughs) I think he had five or six rebounds, 16 points. And yeah, he was taking it to Jajante. He was taking Trey Young could not stay in front of him. Mm-hmm. And that is like, I'm kind of scared of the Hawks just because I'm scared of Trey Young. But man, you should be you should be scared no. of the Hawks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but defensively, Trey is just so, so, so bad. bad. And I don't know how you build a championship team around that. And then what has happened to John Collins? His usage rate is from like 21% down to 15% this year. I saw he was like coming up to set a pick and him and Trey were like yelling at each other on the court at one point. So I, the Hawks were kind of a mess. I was shocked to see it. Honestly, the Hawks make no sense. No. Like fifth, fifth in defensive rating coming in and I'm looking at the team and they got, they got pasted for 126. I'm like, how does this happen? But uh, I guess things are just weird at the yeah. start of the year. And, and uh, I just don't see their roadmap to being, like a legitimate contender. Their backcourt's super good. It's going to win a ton of games and then they're going to get to the playoffs and like who's who's carrying you at that point if Tra- if Trey's not getting 50 a night. So, uh it's going to be tough for them. Yeah, I think this is going to be really good for the national narrative for the Celtics. Like now you you know, we're going to see all the national pods be like Celtics explosions, but the Hawks are I think kind of living off some pretty easy schedule stuff like the yeah, Sixers no yeah. Harden they got to play the Bucks with no Drew and Middleton like um and then today was supposed to be another one for those but like yeah I think that they're crashing back to earth Cavs lost again today like season in a different class yeah it's interesting because the the well the, the Hawks have just beaten the Bucks twice as you said there and we don't get to see the Bucks until Christmas but based on the rule of the circles of victory we are officially better than the Bucks now right having beat the Hawks that's just science that's just how it works um Forsberg if I were to ask you who has the best plus minus in all of the NBA uh Single player plus minus. Yes, oh, it is a yeah, great guess. Yeah. This guy's a pro. Obviously, <laughs> he had that loaded. Yeah. Yeah. He's he's thirty with a scope. What's Eddie calling him? Thirty with a scope. Yeah. Like uh, you know, it's uh, it, it, it's I, again. So here's what I can't shake, and, and I thought it was a, a cool juxtaposition tonight. Is you got Gallinari on the road for the first time because he has Atlanta roots and probably wanted to be at that game and just be a, be out there around the team. Does this happen? if Gallinari doesn't get hurt and like think about how we all felt when the secession of 
him getting the diagnosis from being, oh, it's not a sprain, it's a tear, to Rob going down, to the whole EMA fiasco, and like how like awful we felt about the season at that point, and just like this little dark cloud above you. But in, the, in just in that focus, like does Sam Hauser ever even get the opportunity? Like there was raves about him in the preseason and like how good he looked in some of these games. And some people were wondering why he didn't get more of an opportunity last year. I think some people forget he, he busted up his arm pretty good right before the playoffs. Like there wasn't going to be an opportunity for him to really kind of roadmap his way back there, but there wouldn't have been this many minutes, this, this much of a chance uh, if Gallinari doesn't get hurt. And now I think they have not only, an even better version of Gallinari. Like he doesn't do everything. I, I, I missed the, the, the post-up opportunities and the size, but I mean, now you get a guy on a contract three years, five and a half million dollars, whatever the stupid number is. And uh, boy, the, boy, did they need that? Like they needed low budget players to fill out this rotation. And, and I just think it's a revelation for this team beyond even just the fact that he can go out there and have double digit scoring when you've, when you've kind of needed it. We uh, have bonded over uh, mutual adoration for Aaron Neesmith in the past, Forsberg. Is it safe to say that Sam Hauser has like, filled that, that gap for, for you? It certainly has for us. How dare you? Yeah, I was going to say, uh, I still sometimes check the Indiana box yeah. scores just to, like, just to see how my dude's doing. Uh, you, you guys will appreciate this, too, because uh, sometimes you have to scour like dark corners of the internet looking for for advanced statistic, <laughs> statistical nuggets. And the NBA has this thing. I think it's it's powered by like Microsoft. And for the first like week or two of the season, Aaron Neesmith was rated one of the highest like distance between defender and ball handler. Like he was dogging players. And I was like, oh, here we go. This is what I was talking about. Like he can get out there and be a hound and like knock down threes at some <laughs> point. And I think he went every game after that, he went one for 10. And the NBA tracking had him getting torched defensively. And I was like, all right, you know what? Sometimes you just swing yeah. and miss. I love this, I love this style of play. And between every, having to watch Sadiq Bay so many times lately and, uh, you know, just, just the, the fact that it didn't pan out. Now I wish I could take my time machine and, and, and tell them to just play Hauser in those minutes. Yeah. Yeah. Tonight for Neesmith, 18 minutes, 0 for 4, team worst, minus 3. Oh, actually, no, Benedict Matherin was worse. But, but I yeah. bet he like dove into the front row to yeah. save a ball at some point, and I would have really respected the hell out of that hustle. Oh, no question. Probably had a really impressive rebound, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Probably injured a teammate trying to like keep a ball alive or something yeah. like you know. I, but you know, I I, I will miss the uh, the Aaron Neesmith experience despite sure. despite the warts. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, uh, you you and me both, Forsberg. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not going to tune into many indie games. I don't think. But I think one of maybe the most impressive things about this win is. Tatum and Brown and Tatum especially mm. were not even that good. I mean, Jason Tatum was ice cold from three. He did chip in with eight assists, seven boards, and was a ridiculous plus 28. But I, well, I, I don't <laughs> always. I, I know. It's ridiculous. He's a plus minus God. And then I do think one of the big things I don't love about DeJounte Murray with Trey Young, there were a couple plays where Tatum just posted up DeJounte mm -hmm. and he just put him into the basket and had an easy layup. So it was nice to see Tatum kind of get 
to his shots a little different mm-hmm. way. But yeah, I, did it feel like he was floating a little bit or am I crazy? No, 100%. No, like it just, again, I think he looked at that team and it's like, oh, this isn't the, the sort of matchup that I can just kind of force the issue. And feels like now, what is this, three, four games in a row where every call goes against you and you just feel like you're not getting any, any, anything going at the basket. So, but again, he's completely earned that right to just be like, I am running a little low on fumes here. I I'm just don't have it. Like someone else picked this thing up. And normally in that instance, you would hope it'd be Jalen, but you know, same thing, foul trouble and, yeah. and all that, uh, even on his like home uh, return to Atlanta. Uh, but no, like the fact that Tatum can still, uh, what do you have? Six assists in the mm-hmm. first quarter, yeah. you know, just recognize that, look, I can just sling this ball around. Everybody else can hit threes and, and we'll be fine. And we'll figure this thing out. Um, that's all part of the superstar maturation. Like I feel like, you know, nice. He hasn't had it. He at least gets on the glass, you know, does something that impacts winning. And I, that doesn't happen a year ago. Like, it's just nice where, you know, you say, is, is he floating? Well, no, we know because he disappears for three quarters right. and, and just doesn't find a way to impact the game. And, you know, I know that's not going to going to help his MVP case. But if you watch him every night like we do, you know, you notice like, OK, there's just not a. There's not that game where he just disappears completely. And I, that's that's huge for this. A plus 28 is ridiculous yeah. for the way he played. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Spoonie, I liked how you mentioned the, the post-up because I think the first half he was like, it was one of those games. I think we've seen a few of them where he's like, if I get my threes to go, we're going to just walk out of this game. No worries. They didn't fall. Third quarter started and the, the Hawks were kind of bringing it back a little bit. Second half, Tatum was three for six, two for two from three. He reined back in the the three point attempts, four for four yeah. from the line. He just when they needed a bucket, they he got in the post, got himself to the line, and he just he just kind of recognized that the the shots weren't falling. And again, I think that's just part of the maturation process where he's like, I know I can I can do other things um, to affect winning. And also now he he can really trust these guys. Like yeah. now the now the Pritchard has his swagger back. Like him him he that that. Uh, Tate and Pritchard pick and pop last season was like deadly in the regular season. So it was good mm-hmm. to see um, kind of the reemergence of, of that a little bit. So yeah, I just, I just love seeing him kind of settle it, settle it into the second half and, and focus on different things. I felt like the team defense uh, was much improved in this game. It seemed like there was a lot of hustle uh, and effort in terms of just like contesting shots and getting back in transition defense. We saw a number of times, you know, after unfortunate turnovers, guys like Grant Williams get back and disrupt transition offense on, on the on behalf of the, the Hawks there. What did you see in that sense, Chris Forsberg? It, just, it seemed like, you know, that's obviously been... Um, I guess a detractor for the Celtics so far this season. It really felt like they stepped it up in this particular game. Yeah. I, I was telling Eddie House, like I, if you'd asked me a week ago, the defense would have been a concern. And you always have the crutch of like Rob's going to be back and it's going to look better. But you still couldn't always be assured that like, why is there such a steep drop off from from what we've seen? And, you know, so I, I had some fears about that, that the offense is so good that they just never kind of engage in the way they did last season, the way they had to at times last season. And I think the fourth quarter of that OKC game mm-hmm. with the way that, I mean, Derek and Peyton Pritchard just bullying Josh yeah. Giddy. Yeah. And then tonight, you know, there were spurts where it was just like, okay, you know, where they're just like, we'll just be great, a great defense for as long as we need to. And that's enough to turn the game. I would love them to find more consistency. And again, I think it's, it's a lot easier to do that when you have Marcus and Rob and Malcolm even on the court. Um, but it, I, now that I've seen glimpses, I just feel better about 
the way that they perform. And like, yeah, I'd like to see it over a longer stretch. And, you know, I, I think if you, if you honed in over this win streak, and of course, all those numbers are going to be pretty glossy, but uh, I think they're probably closer to a top 10 defense now. Uh, I know I looked at it the other day and, you know, for at least six of the seven or whatever, they had, they had crawled into like ninth or something like yeah. that. And still not where they should be. But maybe, maybe, I mean, maybe I say that, and yet maybe that is where they're supposed to be. And I do think there's just a correlation. When your offense is humming to such a level, there's a natural tendency not to keep your foot on the gas as much defensively. And right or wrong, like in a perfect world, if these guys were robots, like you could have both. Like they could be really great offensively and really great defensively. It just doesn't work like that. And so I do think they need to sort of figure that balance out. Like, okay, are they just going to be a historic offense all season? Like they have the potential. But – you know, if, if you if you turn that down one notch to ramp your defense up too, you know, is that a better balance of what you could be? And so that's on Missoula to sort of to figure out what his uh, what the identity of this team is going to be necessarily. Uh, are they just going to be really good when they need to be defensively or are they just going to actually get back to being defense first? It's also really hard to defend at a super high level when you're playing as fast as we are offensively. Sure. Um because one, it, it's just going to be an up and down game. Like it was frustrating to watch our offense at times, but there's kind of a method to that madness where you just grind the game to a halt. Don't let them get out in transition as my light turns off while I'm talking here. <laughs> uh, don't let the other team get out in transition. And that lets your defense get set up and just kind of choke the life out of them. Like that team was a chokehold and this team is, you know, a machine gun or a howitzer if you will. Hauser Witzer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yes. So I wonder if Joe, like if that's the way to do it, to find that balance is to dial down the pace just a little bit as much as as a fan watching, I don't want them to do that because yeah. it is so fun to watch right now. I, th- I think the defense is going to normalize in that top 10 range. Yeah. Like even after today, I think they've already updated it and the Celtics are up to 16th well, on in the season. Right. So like feeling better. Yeah. yeah. I, I think, you know, it'll, it'll, it'll get back to it. And then Forsberg, like that point, like you see it when they've needed it a few times in these yeah. wins where they're just like cranked it right up. Mm-hmm. And not only is the offense happening, but now they're just, yeah, you said the, the bullying Josh Giddy thing, which really, you know, hurts my, my soul. The Sorry. Largest, Sorry. My largest Sorry. Australian son. It's okay. Yeah. It's okay. I, was, I won't I, bring up any, no Aaron Bain slander will be heard on this part. Oh, no, the way he's new, is he he's not he's not full Aussie though, right? He's uh, is he the? Well, we did no, we did claim him, and now Adam's we're kind of offering him back to New Zealand. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That's right. That's what the, the yeah. lineage is. Yeah, I've been I've been scouting Baines at the Brisbane Bullets just to. Can, can, can we, you can you can you give can you give us the update? Like I think I feel like Celtics fans would actually be kind of interested. Does he look like himself? Early early season, I thought he looked looked pretty good. Looked like a man among boys. Um, lately, it hasn't looked as good. I honestly mm. don't know how much better he's going to be than Luke Cornett at this point. Um, Lukey Forblocks. Which, which, a month ago, <laughs> Lukey Forblocks wasn't a thing, but now today, hitting threes. Okay. I, I, I took a victory lap on my podcast tonight. I said, go back and look at the comments from the, we did a Luke Cornette episode the night before I knew he was going to like get ramped up in minutes. <laughs> yeah. And uh, all the comments were like, you're doing a podcast about some bozo who isn't even going to play. <laughs> like this dude is an, isn't even an NBA player. <laughs> and now everyone's jumping on the, the Cornette bandwagon. I mean, everything, the, the, the Cornette corner with the three pointer, it was awesome. And like the bench was into it. I mean, the stupid reverse dog. I don't know what what is, what is his celebration? He's doing like Marty Moose or something there. <laughs> like, uh, He's I'm, so I'm, I don't know, but I'm, I'm, I'm all, uh, I am all about the Luke Cornette experience. And uh, if nothing else, you know, 
I know people were really worried about that position, but like he's held it down really well and, and fine. Uh, yeah. Like, I don't think you could get much more from whatever player you were hoping to bring in. I think we saw it, it, it's nice to have sort of, again, I think Brad Stevens can sit there and go, you guys wanted a veteran. Well, here's Blake Griffin huffing and puffing <laughs> up and down the court. Like at least Luke is making good things happen. Yeah. And like, I do think there's a, a value in Blake, but you know, like for everyone who was sitting here screaming and hollering about, Dwight Howard, my God. The value of Blake seems to come with the vibes, which is a whole other podcast, but like mm, he, he yeah. does have an impact and, and value there, a tangible value. And clearly, like we've seen that uh, permeate through Peyton Pritchard, who's been great. And it feels like uh, Blake has been propping him up. And where he serves the team uh-huh. best, Blake, this is as a savvy veteran, is his propping up of guys like Pritchard and guys who don't have like a, like a certified role on the team. But yeah, Luke Cornett, like Spoonie and I were right on the forefront of like we don't believe in this guy we we like we don't see i don't know what brad sees in this but uh yeah there you go the, the chris forsberg foresight there in uh in predicting his impact on the team i i again so i don't have a lot of inside information but i do trust what people tell me they that they see that i don't see and so sometimes you don't know if you're blowing smoke i also can tell you that uh, a certain uh, president of basketball operations told me a long time ago that James Young had like the best off season and gained 15 pounds of muscle. And uh, then I actually got to sit down with James Young and I was like, doesn't feel like this is all true, but like, I'm going to write this story and be like, Hey, here comes this guy. He's going to be great year two. Here we go. And uh, that did not pan out. So, uh, you know, you, you take your wins with your losses and, uh, but yeah, like there was a lot of hype about Luke, a lot of hype about Sam. And uh, they've warranted it with the way that they've played. Absolutely. House money. I feel like we're ready to move on from the game. Like we were talking about before you dropped on the call, Forsberg, like really it just comes down to this team is fucking awesome. And they're just like, they have yeah. the, yeah. the... It's weird. Yeah. Like, I don't yeah. understand. I, like, we, I, like, I don't... I, I, I was more of a fan than a reporter when I, when like the 08 team. So my buddies bought season tickets. I don't know. I'm sorry if I'm boring you guys with the story that I've told no, you no, before, no. but like, so my, my, my buddies were all, they, they thought in advance of the lottery, they thought they were getting Odin or Durant. So they put mm-hmm. in for season tickets, they get it. And then one of our buddies got a job as a, as like a season ticket guy out at the Clippers. So he left to go. My other buddy needed someone to go with. And so I was covering high school sports at the Boston globe at that point, And like, just kind of helping with pro sports when, when they needed somebody. And uh, so I went to probably 30 of those 40 home games that year, just as like a fan and sat up in the balcony. And it was weird that they were like that good, like that every night was Gino dancing on the Jumbotron. And I remember like I spent the whole year trying to process like what they're so good after they lost 17 <laughs> games. And this is, but this, this is even weirder because they were in the finals last year. I should have had some level of expectation that they would be good. And yet I'm watching this and I'm like, how the hell are they this good? Like it was three months ago, they had multiple holes in their game, and now they've shored everything up. And Rob's not even out there yet. No, exactly. So, that is insane. Yeah. So I just, I just, I just struggle to wrap my head around it. I try not to be, you know, because people always complain about my network being overly optimistic, and certainly we probably, I, I probably get more excited than I do pessimistic. Although if you watched last year, you know that I lost my mind a hundred yeah. times. <laughs> this um, is a safe space. But, as yeah, well, I just, I just, you can, you can overreact I, I, here. <laughs> yes. I, I want I want to be mad about something. I just, there's nothing to be mad about. 
Too many, too many Tatum minutes. Should have, should have pulled him like two minutes earlier tonight. Come on, Joe. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Come on. Blake Griffin <laughs> played the four for a short period of time. We could be mad about big. that. Cornette and Blake. And Joe's, <laughs> Joe's timeout usage is the only thing that I can re- yeah. like religiously get upset about. And even that, like, it's probably bears out if you looked at the numbers yeah. and he's doing the right thing. So I don't know. <laughs> All right, well, we, we could sing have. the praises of this team all night, and we kind of have to some degree already, but we do have some other things to move on to. Very quick, minute shout-out to Al Horford as well, who had another fantastic game there. But moving on, uh, this Friday, Chris Forsberg will be the eight-week mark on Rob's injury return Ooh. timeline. So assuming, <laughs> presuming, he will come back at some point, and we know you're the world's leading export, expert on Time Lord, how do you think that Joe Mazzola, yeah. who is running things differently from an offensive perspective, how do you think that he's going to reintegrate Rob Williams into the offense? And do you think there's a risk at all that he's going to like clog the paint oh, no. at all or sort of, um, of there's going to be an upheaval? So th- this, is my, this is my fear is that Rob comes back, the offensive numbers plummet, and then Rob is like the scapegoat <laughs> yeah. for why they've, they've gone in the tank. I do think, you know, in theory, adding a rim runner should create more space for some of their shooters, but certainly – the fact that they've been able to spread it out as much as they have and sort of whip the ball around the perimeter. And now you're adding what is essentially a non-shooter, even though I have seen him, you know, do pretty good with that mid range. And I think he'll eventually stretch out yep. to the perimeter at some point in his career as like every big man that comes through Boston eventually does. But yeah, like I, I do think there's an adjustment that goes with it and like how you run your offense changes a little bit. And so I am eager to see, and it goes back to that balance, right? Like if Rob elevates your defense enough, does it offset any dip in the offense? Um, it comes down to like aesthetically, as, as Spoon has pointed out, like it's really fun to watch this team right now. I don't want them to necessarily change anything. And yet to be the best version of themselves, they might have to. Or, you know, I guess the thing is like, you can still put him out there and if it if for whatever reason it doesn't work, you can go small quick. You have options to flip it and kind of stagger how you bring guys back. I don't suspect it's going to but it's going to be an, an issue long term, but I think especially at the first few games or whatever, it, it is going to be an adjustment and they're gonna to have to figure that out. And I'm preparing every defense imaginable for <laughs> for why uh it is not Rob's fault and that people need to be patient. And uh it and, and and that too is weird that like it felt like first five games we're all sitting here going, oh Rob, get back, get back. And now people are going to be all complaining that they don't have a fifth shooter on the court. Yeah, I've been saving my Blink-182 I Miss You Rob Williams video for like a month now. And I'm fine to save it. Um but yeah, I, I'm not worried at all with the with the Rob Williams ah, thing. All right. I mean, you talk about nice. you talk about like fun to watch. He's like one of the funnest players in the league to watch yeah. on on both ends. The funnest, the, yeah. yeah. Tier one, Rob Williams. Tier two, tier Steph Curry. I think that's the, <laughs> the order. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just facts, science again. Um, but then you know the offense as well. Something I think we looked at today. We're 26 in offensive rebounding right now. Rob Williams is one of the best offensive rebounders yeah. in the mm-hmm. in the league. Any dip we're going to get, which I don't really, you know, expect a massive one. Um, you know, you're replacing, you know, Luke Cornett, who's not really spacing the floor right now, um, or whatever the non Al Horford minutes are with Rob Williams. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm not worried at all about the offense really taking a massive step, specifically because of Rob, especially when you're adding in the offensive rebounding and the lob threat. Like it's kind of mm-hmm. wild how few lobs we get relative to when Rob Williams plays, um, even though Luke can get up there just a little bit. Um, but the Celtics have always been bad at throwing lobs, which is why we we need yeah. someone like Rob who can actually throw down some of these 
haywire passes. And think of it, Rob Demo is as soon as he gets the ball, he wants to get rid of it. Yeah. Like the pace could be even faster because he's going to be so adamant to push that ball. I don't know. I think kicking out offensive rebounds, I do see the potential for him to further enhance this offense. I just, again, I'm already preparing for the, the numbskulls in my <laughs> mentions. Absolutely. We'll be in there defending you. Don't you worry. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate you guys. In my army. That's right. Forsberg, um, you know, you're obviously close to the, to the team with us and you've been around the Celtics, you know, obviously since 08. Um, the Jason Tatum experience, um, mm. have you kind of been around something like this? I know, I know there's like, this is not Paul Pierce slander, um, but like a, a guy that's come in, the expectations have been high. He's pretty much right. met them, exceeded them, like MVP candidate, best player in the world, potential kind of guy. Like what's the energy like? What's it like covering a guy like this at this point? Yeah, it, it, it's definitely unlike anything I've been a part of. Certainly the IT year was like a, its own sort of wonderment because no one expected him to be in that conversation. He was supposed to be a sixth man and all of a sudden he's fifth in MVP voting and that was like wild to be a part of. Fever dream. <laughs> yeah, you know, like, I mean, it's still my favorite season of all time because of that, because there, there were such different parts of their career. Like, IT embraced everything and would like talk about everything. And Jason still, even though he's he's showing more of a you know ability to 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 detail his thoughts and stuff like that, it's you don't have that quite the window that IT gave you. And and sort of like from a at least from a coverage standpoint, it's still remarkable to watch. You know, we all knew how good he was from pretty much from day one and summer league and watching him be like, oh my god, um, like the potential of this, especially the potential of Jalen and Jason together. Um, but for just for him to to take all the weak points from his game, and again three months like it's it's nothing in the NBA. To, like a month of that, he should have been sitting on a beach. I don't understand how like in that span he comes back and and he's just so much better at rim reads and you know knowing when to attack and finishing around the basket. I mean, before I jinxed him the other night, <laughs> so he'd been shooting like eighty percent going into that OKC yep. game at the rim. And then I think he was probably like one of eight at the rim, like nothing was spinning in for him. And so, but like he, there's definitely been progress there. The floater is so much better, so much more of a weapon. Um, getting to the line, just knowing how to impact the game when things don't happen. It's weird to see a player, even though you know they have the potential to just sort of figure that all out and doing it all while still not getting anywhere near the whistles that a superstar player should be getting and you know clapping his hands and getting the technical oh. it's like there's been some uh, getting tossed from a preseason yeah. game like there's some, oh, yeah. some pre preposterous jason tatum stuff that has gone on and yet um it's it's just really fun to watch like um i still it, it, it's funny because we, we, obviously like the mvp conversation is weird when it's 12 <laughs> games into the year 15 games now but um you understand why and part of this the the things that that part of the excitement about the Celtics being so good is that he's going to stay in that conversation and not just because like he deserves to be there based on his play, but Giannis and Luca are so good. And, you know, Embiid every time he has a 56 point game, we'll get into that conversation, but, um, but he has a legitimate chance because the Celtics might have a historic offense and they might be the number one team in the East. And those will be parts of the way that he'll, he'll, he'll remain in that conversation, even if he ever like, and he hasn't even started hitting threes yet. So yeah. I don't know. It's uh, it it is neat to to sort of be a part of it. I've never had such a play. I've never covered a player that had such a high level. Like KG was coming the other way, as I covered those final few years. Like you said, Pierce just wasn't. Pierce was just always so much better than his talent should have let him be. 
And yet Tatum just feels like he's, he still hasn't even tapped into the full form of what he can be. And you didn't even talk about his defense. He's leading yeah, the team in mean, blocks. You know what I mean? Like he's been awesome on that end too. Um, so the defense, guy, right? Like what, I feel like we can start the campaign. Like if we weren't yeah. so so hell bent on making him the MVP, we'd be talking about how he should be all defense. And yet that'll just sort of be part of the part of the conversation. Yeah, it'll be oh, he's good at defense too. Bonus. You know that no one will focus <laughs> on it because Jake makes this point all the time, and I think it's a great one. That's like he's too good at he's offense good. for people to care about <laughs> yeah. his defense. Yeah, like Matisse Thybul is the most overrated defender in the league because he can't <laughs> shoot. And again, one of my Australian <laughs> sons, I'm say, slandering careful, my own. <laughs> I know, I know. Unless he's playing for the Boomers, it's the only time he can hit a freaking three. Um, but Shorter overrated line. because his only job is to like, yeah. and he gets cooked by. Jalen and Jason every time. All the time. Yeah, playing for Philly really confuses it, it, me. That's what happens. You go, you go to Philly and they just rob you of everything. <laughs> uh, so, uh, speaking of the guy who has empowered Jason Tatum, Ooh. Joe Missoula. So, your yeah. position, Forsberg, you obviously have a lot closer perspective of the team than we do. And Joe has been along around for a long time. He was mm-hmm. there pre-COVID. So, from your experience, like, did you – ever think he would be this good especially coming out of the gate i mean did you ever get the inclination or hear from brad or or like oh this guy could be a head coach one day Mm -hmm. uh maybe in the past couple years like what is your sort of pre-head coach joe missoula experience i'll I'll, I'll detail it like this the first my first remembrance of like joe becoming a thing for me was when kemba arrived like he was kemba's guy right like they had the big east ties and so he worked almost exclusively with Kemba or not ex- only exclusively but he yeah. was Kemba's guy so he was the one doing shooting drills after practice the one who went back with and did shots at night and like you know so they were they were constantly around each other and Kemba told me something about you know he had to make I think it was like 300 makes or something and he timed himself every time and he set like some record right before they went back to Charlotte for his homecoming game and I was riding an elevator and Missoula would just happen to be there. I was like, oh, Kemba said he got it in like, you know, some absurd amount of time, 12 minutes or something like that. And uh, and he was like, he told you that? And I was like, yeah. And so I, he was very quiet, very kind of like reserved. And that's the way he's been because and unfortunately, just because of the pandemic, we haven't been around them yeah. a whole lot. I can say I was I was even I was a little bit surprised when I heard that he was part of the the Utah interviews. Like I knew Danny had a great deal of respect for him. Um, but I didn't know that the hype around the league maybe had um, had advanced to a level where he was in considerations for those things. And so and so much of the attention was on Will Hardy and, and all that too, that it, it just masked like how much they liked uh, Joe. And so I, the other thing that I you know has been well-documented is uh, when they were deciding, you know, who was going to stay on from Brad's staff, they sort of went to the, the email, went to the players and said like, what do you think? And unequivocally from every guy, like they were like, we like Joe and Joe has our trust and Joe knows the defense, which is crazy because it's all about the offense right now. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, they, they, they wanted him around and, and think it's telling that he was the only assistant that survived that, 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 that changeover. And so, um, yeah, but it, it, even, even with all that, when he gets promoted, I said, okay, so he'll have some Brad-like tendencies because he was, you know, part of that Brad ecosystem and, and learned under that. I didn't know he would be a like exact yeah. clone, clone yeah. Of, of Brad. And I do think, he, you know, we probably make too much of the little things that they're very similar at, but they are like to me, they are strikingly similar in 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 the way they carry themselves, in what they reveal, 
in their timeout usage, yeah. in like, you know, various, various things that, that were very noticeable with Brad. Now, well, the first time someone hits a game winner and Joe like calmly walks to midcourt and shakes someone's hand, we'll know if he's exactly that way. But um, yeah, like I, th- I think there's more to Joe than we've seen. I think even in these 15 games, I've seen him get more comfortable. Uh, he's, he's sort of opened up a little bit more and joked a little bit more in those press conferences. And I just think that's that like any new coach has to get used to that. Um, but especially a guy who gets thrown in to the crazy situation that he did. Um, and, and then, I mean, the bubblegum thing is just amazing. Yes. So uh, if I, I don't understand how Bazooka Joe hasn't taken on a bigger thing. Like, I don't know if, if internationally that plays, uh, but like Bazooka Gum is was a pretty big deal for any kid who grew up here in the States. Yes. Uh, and so watching him chop away, uh, if Bazooka Joe doesn't take <laughs> off at some point, I'm going to be very disappointed. There's an en- endorsement uh, there somewhere, I'm sure. Absolutely. 100%. If it still I think, exists. I think Abby, Abby said that he chews pure gum, which I can't even say I understand or know what that is. Um, but if they haven't called him already, in the same way that the Rolex watch is reaching out to Rob for the Time Lord stuff, yes. like there's yeah. just obvious opportunities out there. And if they, this dude could give you a lot of exposure thinking about like playoffs and like how much they show him and he's always gnawing on that gum. So uh, yeah, like strike while you can or, or else I'm gonna have to like invent a gum brand that he really likes so that I can get the marketing. I can see it now. It's gonna be like Doris Burke Game three of the finals is going to cut to Joe, and there's going to be like some way too in depth like thing about Joe chewing gum. <laughs> and she like, nailed it every time she had to explain Time Lord. She did a very yeah, good job with it. Yeah. So, She's the one. Um, that story. Every yeah. game of the playoffs, we <laughs> yeah. had to get that explanation. Um. So moving on a little bit. Um. Came out today. Windhorst. Kind of. You know he's. He's always half reporting stuff. Um, but Jakob Pertle to the Celtics. Celtics have interest. Um, Forsberg, I don't know if you have any like insight, but I, I don't even think it's possible that we can trade. Yes, I, like, isn't Gallagher? this the number one thing? I don't think, I, I believe because of the fact that he the, that Gallinari got yeah, waived. From the Spurs. I don't know if he can necessarily, and I don't know, there is some rules about like if you get waived, if you go to another team. You you know I forget the the Ilgaskis uh, or the you know whatever it was in Cleveland that set up this whole ability of yes. uh, to, to reacquire a player. Um, I, I have not checked deep enough into that, um, in part because I just don't know if it makes sense. Like, yeah, we can watch Jacoperto mm-hmm. and be like, that guy's awesome and would be the perfect sort of yeah. bruiser. The everything I I wanted from like a healthy Baines is what he's doing, and yet. Um, like he's in a contract year and yeah. why in the world would he want to be a backup for uh, once like everybody's healthy on this team? I just don't see a roadmap to a lot of playing time. Uh, and to, just the answer to all, every question that we've thrown out so far, uh, there's Luke Cornette. Hell yeah. So, you know, Luke Fox. So I've said, and I like, you know, I was, I was a little hesitant about this, proclamation before the season but every time it got brought up i would say you know i think probably like wing depth is going to be more important at the trade deadline than necessarily a big man and i probably still feel that way because all all i can flash back to is like Celtics having no answer for the warriors depth and like wiggins and what he did and let's just like you just needed one extra defender one and somebody that could just allow jason or jalen to actually breathe for five minutes and they certainly have more depth already but 
You know, I just feel like that's probably going to be more of a position of need than necessarily center where if Al and Rob are healthy, I'm not sure you need too much more. Now, that all believes that Rob stays healthy. That's all like Al continues to defy all sort of aging. And, you know, and and, and there will be nights where we'll still shake our hands about not enough big man depth, but they got Luke. So I feel like it'll be all right. Yeah, like big man, that that spot I think is kind of the easiest spot in the, in the league to just manage 10 to 15 minutes a night, which the Celtics, when, when the rest of the team is so freaking good, like mm-hmm. you just need to get your arms up, be seven foot tall, make the right pass um, and catch reverse lob dunks. Pirtle will cost real tangible assets. Yeah, the first at least. Like if you were going to trade another first round pick, Gallinari's contract and probably like Pritchard, you, he needs to be able to like play in the finals. Yeah, I'm not sure Jakob Pertl can play in the finals. So if you're using what is like really the last gun in the bullet to improve this team, I don't think a guy who will only be here for one year and is taking Luke Cornett's spot as a 15 minute per game backup is really the move, in my opinion. So, yeah, I'm with you, Forsberg. Find a big wing. Find another Grant Williams type guy who can guard big and shoot threes. Yeah, we go back to your searching for the the Al secession plan. Like, yeah, that's right, the, exactly. Yeah, so. What's PJ doing? Yeah. Like, let, let's check on those Hornets. Yeah, and to your point, Forsberg on the the wing depth. Like, I think we're all a little bit shocked, even with the the injury outages today, to see Justin Jackson play like non garbage time minutes. <laughs> yeah. So I think that's he definitely looked surprised. I, I, yeah. I was just gonna say, I think Justin Jackson was surprised. Absolutely, <laughs> to be playing to be playing minutes. Yeah, so like it, the. the the more the more depth you can have there, the better I'll feel going in. I just think that's probably the the more likely. And and same deal, like the it'll probably be a more robust market for that spot. Hopefully, yeah. um, you just they just you know if Brad's going to spend another first round pick, it better be someone that has a long term design here. And I just don't see them spending the capital it would take to bring someone on uh, a final year contract. They learned from the the Fournier uh, uh, experience of of too too long ago. Absolutely. Now, shifting back to your, I guess, coverage of the team, um, while COVID is still very prominent in our world, COVID restrictions have certainly been lifted. How has that changed your, I guess, ability and your experience covering the team and what sort of prior elements of covering the team have returned and has anything new Mm. sort of come into fruition in terms of how you're able to cover the team? Nothing really new. Uh, I would say it's just been a relief. I mean, even we the, the guards started to come down a little bit with the finals. And even though we were still all like masked up and, and all that, we hadn't had like the ability to go on the court and talk to players during like, a practice day mm-hmm. since pre-pandemic. And so like having that ability to be closer to p- players, to actually be able to get like one-on-one conversations was it was almost jarring i'll be honest like i'd forgotten what it was like to do my job because you just get so used to being on zooms all the time and just always being a pack of reporters and and honestly it it sort of sucked the life and and that's a terrible expression for 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 covid but like it's just you 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 just you you couldn't get anything different you couldn't it was very hard to be a good reporter in those instances and shout out to the people that that did find ways to be creative but um, yeah, it was, it was hard for, for like, I think for, for just what I was used to, um, training camp, 
And uh, the first couple of weeks of the season were awesome because the team was practicing a ton. There was like a lot of breaks in the schedule. Ever since November's rolled around, it's been the complete opposite. There hasn't been a lot of time. Uh, I haven't been on the road a whole lot to start the season. So I don't get the benefit of, of the morning shoot arounds when they're on the road. Uh, and yet, like still, like I, I, I will never complain because there's so much more opportunity uh, even before games and just, you know, locker rooms are open again. Being able to see just them interact in the locker room. It doesn't sound like a big deal, but you can get a lot better sense of how guys interact and how like the vibes are when you're in there than you can on a Zoom call. So uh, it's been it's been a nice relief to to sort of have that human instinct back. And uh, hopefully the stories are better. Hopefully, like the insight is better. I feel more comfortable, you know, definitely like being more like this is this is something I've seen or, you know, whatever. Uh, and, and it's, uh, yeah, it's just, just in general, it's been a relief. I think back to the other night, like, you know, Peyton Pritchard has that great game against Oklahoma city and is up there probably in front of the reporters for probably the first time this year in a post-game setting. Uh, and Blake is just staring at him from his locker <laughs> because they have, you know, that, that, that broness going on right now. <laughs> and someone said like, what's that connection like? And uh, and Peyton, without missing a beat, and you know he's a pretty dry guy. He's just like he's like looks over at, at Blake, and he's like, "Oh, Blake, uh, I hate that guy." <laughs> and then just like goes on to the next answer, doesn't even like blank. And no, uh, so it's it's fun to see that you know that there is like legitimate human interactions with these guys, and so that's been nice. Yeah, speaking of legitimate human interaction, after that Oklahoma City win, you had <laughs> what was one of my favorite on the court post-game interviews with Marcus Smart where basically every member of the team came over and rubbed his head or like patted his butt or I think it was Jalen jumped on his back mm-hmm. and it was like, whoa, Jalen, let's uh, yeah. <laughs> chill, buddy. Good team coming. It was just like an awesome moment and the yeah. clip is hilarious and it went viral. So when you're in the middle of that type of interview where like, it's just kind of crazy. Like, do you know, like this oh, is yeah. going great oh, yeah. and this is hilarious. Yeah. Cause and so what's funny is, so a couple of things to like to, to dive way too deep into our, into our business. So like, I am not a good sideline reporter because I am long winded and trying to fit anything interesting into 30 seconds and spit out as many numbers yeah. as I yearn to do is super <laughs> difficult. And so I think I did like three hits during the game. And I, 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 I could say like one was coherent and the rest were just me screaming words, trying to get through them, knowing that play was starting back on the court. And so this is why I have the ultimate adoration for Abby because she is so good at it and she makes it look so easy and it drives me so nuts because like, I just can't do it. And I do, I get really nervous when I have to do that role because it's just, it's not what I'm good at. I want to be good at it. Like just so that in instances where we need a body, I can go over there and do it. It's so funny because a lot of people will say to me, oh, the, it must be like really nervous when you have to do those interviews. No, like those interviews are the easiest thing. Like I can talk to a player about a game or whatever, but if you're telling me that I have to tell you 30 seconds about why the pick and roll is working, like I'm going to need an hour and a half. So... <laughs> You know, it, it's very difficult. So I was feeling like pretty crappy about like how the night had gone to that point and almost by luck. So whenever there's a national outlet there, they get first crack at who they want to talk to. And then, you know, it sort of trickles down. So then like we get somebody's radio Celtics media, like, so we're, we're all waiting to like kind of figure out what the cue is going to be. 
and NBA TV happened to choose Jason Tatum and said that no matter what happened in the game, they were going with Tatum, which made sense. Like Tatum was really good. And like Tatum is a big story. And from a Nash perspective, that makes a ton of sense. And so I, I I think the, the Celtics PR expected me to go with Jalen because Jalen was also having a pretty good game. And I think we were about four minutes to go. And I said, you know, sometimes you just have this feeling. I said, pencil me in for smart just for now. And like, we'll see how the final couple of minutes play out. And if someone hits a big basket, maybe I'll audible. Uh, but then it was smart who hit yeah. the big basket. And so I felt really good going into it. And then, yeah, like selfishly, you know, I'm as I'm just, all I'm trying to do in those instances, like how can I get three questions out that make <laughs> some sort of sense? And I felt pretty good like, that I had three. But when, when you see everybody coming, coming out, like that's all you're hoping for, like some sort of like, he, moment beyond just the interview and uh so yeah like i won't profess that it was any of my doing it's just i picked the right guy and i just i was in the right spot you know for them walking off the court and like dumb luck stuff but yeah uh likewise it, in a season that i felt there was pretty good vibes especially coming out of training camp and once they started games and once they saw how good they could be that sort of crystallized it for me like just how excited those guys were that Marcus had that. Cause remember it was like a pretty bumpy start for Marcus in terms of like, oh, yeah. how the year had gone. And you know, there, it was fair to question like what's going on. Like he just wasn't himself on, on really either end last, you know, six or seven games have been completely the opposite. And uh, yeah, I just feel, I just feel fortunate that, uh, that uh, I was in a good spot so that everyone could piggyback on, on Marcus Smart. That might be like more of a sign of your professionalism than anything else that like you had a sense in that OKC game that like smart is the ideal interview candidate like that you just yes. you're so he was, tuned into the he Celtics. was having like a pretty good game and oh, i felt yeah. like in the fourth quarter even before the finish he was if he wasn't necessarily scoring all the points at that point although i guess he what he had 20 of his 22 in the second That's half right. uh but i felt like he was he was really impacting it and you know beyond again no offense to josh giddy but <laughs> his, his lunch money getting taken every 30 seconds yeah, yeah. Um, it, it, it felt like smart was was going to have some part in whatever happened and uh yeah just just don't walk you know i think that's that's good for josh kitty he'll he'll learn from that um <laughs> yeah like you've obviously done some awesome interviews i think some of celtics fans favorites are specifically the the jalen and jason interviews you've done at the beginning of both seasons i think um you yeah, with so much talk about their relationship having those interviews mm-hmm. um it was just, it was like truly. But then people point. get so, but people can get so mad that I asked those questions, yeah, and well, I was like, if "Screw those people, did." Thank you, thank you. Well, but like, it, it's hard not to. But like, the YouTube commenters were very, very mad that two years in a row I asked them about about their relationship, and and I don't know, like for me, that's a question I get a lot, and so yeah. if I'm getting it. I feel like there must be interest to to find that answer, and you know, same sort of thing, like. One of our bosses here said, like, what do you think if we could get these guys together two years ago? And I was like, oh, my God, that would be amazing. I also said there's no chance it's going to happen. And then just like by some stroke of luck, like they just were crossing like ships in the night. And we were like, hey, can we get both you guys? And they were like, sure. We're like, oh, my God. Um, and so then it, it led to this year. And, um, you know, you're, you've got maybe five minutes of them together and you're just trying to get you know, something that's interesting. And I love their dynamic when they're together because even as Jason becomes more vocal, Jalen still dominates sort of the conversation in that moment and is so much more, you know, on that day, it felt like Jalen had stuff on his mind and he wanted to to speak and even kind of challenging Tatum to be more vocal in that instance. Like, I thought that was really neat. And, you know, the funny part about that is, 
we tape a lot of those and it's not something you're going to run and put up the first night. But, you know, so I sat there for two weeks going, when are we running this? When are we running this? When are we running this? Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it, it was neat to see. It's, it's, it's fascinating to me because there's such, we don't get to see how stars interact very often and then to force them into that situation at least allows them to give us a glimpse. Um, so yet again, I feel very fortunate. It just, you know, happens to be my role that day. And um, I, I don't think it's a particular, like, I'm not asking any like mind numbing questions. Um, like I didn't, I, I don't, I, I think anyone could think of some of these stuff to, to ask them. It's just, I'm fortunate that they've had some good responses as well. I mean, you talk about having limited time with them and you've spoken about how you prefer to spend 90 minutes talking about the picky role versus 30 seconds. Like what, what does, like if you could choose your interview partner, the format, the Ooh. length, like, you know, you give us a basketball option, non-basketball option. Um, yeah. What does that look like for Forsberg? Yeah. I mean, I really, I mean, so it's, it's funny. I'll, I'll tell you this, this like story too, cause it, it's always like makes me laugh is that, uh, when I was at ESPN, they came to us and they they were like deciding what they wanted to do. I forget what we call it was before the Hoop Collective. It was like you know Basketball Friends or some 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 name, and they didn't know what the the, the exact schedule was going to be. And I got to do like a podcast with, with my friend Nick Friedel, who does the Nets now, and then you know, it was on the Bulls, and then went to the Warriors. And he's like he's one of my he's my favorite person he, from ESPN ever. Yeah, I mean yeah. He, he is amazing, and uh, he. Uh, and it was funny though, cause I was, I, I wasn't a big podcast guy at that point. Like I wasn't listening to podcast. I mean, I listened to Simmons podcast or like yeah. every now and then I would listen to something, but, um, I would, you know, I wasn't like binging them in the way I, I guess I do now. And, uh, I remember actually t- telling Nick at one point, I'm like, like, this is so, isn't this what we should have done like 10 years ago? Why are we doing podcasts now? Pod- podcasts are going out. Like, this is so old. Like this is never going to work. And, uh, so I, I probably wasn't as diligent as I should have been in like preparing and being good at that and like embracing the situation. I, it's always something I kick myself about because <laughs> years later I get here and it's like, Hey, we have this podcast Celtics talk and it becomes my favorite thing yeah. because you have mm-hmm. an hour to talk about the pick and roll if you want. And you can have interviews, you can do stupid stuff. You can talk about nonsense and uh, it probably fits my personality better. So uh, I think, in this day and age, you because I work for a TV station, you want everything on camera. So I would love, you know, whether the, and obviously we do the even you guys we do podcasts now that have video, and so uh, it doesn't have to necessarily be a sit down interview. But I would love long form ability to talk to players, ability to like see beyond the basketball court. We, we don't do enough of that in part because like they're really busy, and it's hard sometimes to just get that access and get that glimpse. Um, but yeah, and then like I really liked our podcast from the playoffs, and I roped Abby into it. I was just like, "Look, you're here. Um, you're gonna come and talk about these games afterward, and I want you to scream and shout and uh, you know have opinions. You know, don't don't feel like you know you have to you have to just like ask me the questions. Mm-hmm. So, and I thought she was awesome at it. There was like a great energy, and so I think it, the the key to any successful show, podcast, interview, whatever you're doing is just having the right people around you, the right energy. And I mean, man, I'm sounding like Jalen now with like <laughs> energy shifts and stuff like yes. that. Um, but yeah, as long, if you're having fun, it's going to permeate through everything you do. And so uh, I try not to take anything too seriously anymore. I, I like, especially when I first started doing TV, I was very uptight about everything just because I was so worried about it. Yeah. And 
So now I just go in and I'm like, hey, I'm going to suck at sideline tonight. It's going to be awesome. Uh, I'm going to wear a sweater so that people point to that more than they point to me tripping over my words. And, uh, and, and yeah, we'll, we'll see where it goes. But uh, I really do. I think, you know, as you guys can probably attest, it, the, the podcast has opened up uh, a whole new world for, for us. And I can't believe how many stupid Celtics podcasts I listen to now. And, uh, and not, not that, not that they're stupid. Everyone does their own. And then I take all everyone else's great ideas and then I, I make my own podcast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's all part of the fun. Uh, so that actually segues nicely into the last question and we'll finish up on this, but the Celtics talk podcast, which you are the very wonderful host of has taken on a little bit of a new form this year and that you're, mm-hmm. you're um, and I'm guessing that's what you were doing immediately after the post-game show today, Forsberg, is, yes. is uh, and you, again, you're going to beat us first to the press, even though we've had you on as a post-game <laughs> guest. Very clever. Yeah, well I, I was going to say, uh, if, if you could just change your name to second to the floor. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's in the works, don't worry. We're getting the logos adjusted as we speak. Um, you guys are doing immediate post-game, or I say you guys, yeah. you are doing immediate post-game pods No, now. no, it's you guys, because, because uh, first off, like, and this is one of the luxuries that working for a big network has we have podcast producers who l- allow me like we get done our post game show and what we decided this year was just like i'm going to go in a room and i'm going to record six to ten minutes of me rambling which i don't love because like i do think podcasts work better when you have someone to play off mm-hmm. of and it's just not me talking all the time and um so i sometimes worry that you know it's a little bit droning and i probably say the word but and transition like a thousand times but <laughs> But uh, I do what I can, and then they stitch together that with some of the highlights from our post-game show, which we probably don't, which you know, we want to highlight anyway, because if you missed it or or whatever, uh, and then the, I can't believe how fast these people are are are, are the, uh, the, the the these people behind the scenes, Casey and and Adam and uh, Annie. So like they all deserve shout-outs for for how fast they're working, because I do my part, and then I'm on to whatever's next, and. Um, yeah, it's uh, I don't know though. Like, I do worry. It's it's, I forgot how many games there are. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like, you've come out of the game. There's no time. way anyone's listening. There's no way anyone's listening to all of them. And yet, like, it takes a lot of stress off me because I used to worry. I don't write as much right after games anymore. Um, there's just it, it's hard to start writing at midnight and you know have something you know there's not any editors at, at certain hours. And so um, I usually come back the next day with writing, but I have all these thoughts and feelings and um, they're not exactly fleshed out at that point, but uh, it's good to just be able to, to vocalize it a little bit. And so hopefully after games like this, people are eager and interested. And I hope people wake up or before they go to bed or wherever, you know, with you guys being on different continents, like I hope you're listening to this stuff uh, whenever it, it, it hits, but um it makes me feel at ease because, you know, there's something out there for people to digest after games. And, you know, look, I'll, I'll see, we'll see where the numbers take us. And, and if that is, but, you know, shout out to Corrales too. Like he started doing this, what, yeah, like man. a year and a half ago more. Um, and I mean, he's the OG of, of all this, but I mean, when my first days at ESPN, I remember calling into whatever uh, Celtics show he was doing at that point with, uh, Army. with Army, yeah. 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 And, and like, again, that, that's, that, that's when I was like, oh, podcast. Yes. This is the next big thing. By 10 years later, I was like completely out on him. And, uh, you know, John, John's parlayed it into like a, a, like being really good at, at, at this whole media job. So, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to step on his toes. It's just, it, uh, we have the resources and, uh, I'm, I'm very lucky in that regard to, to be able to, to spin it out there. But I do need to, I need, like, again, this is, it's all sort of like a test kitchen. I need to, 
I need to gauge the, the the diehards out there and figure out if like they like it, if they uh, if the the midweek episode that we like don't sort of focus in on a game is that getting swallowed up by the fact that we have like five episodes a week because of uh of all the games. You know, I don't know this stuff, but I guess I'd rather have more content than than less. And, uh, we'll see. Yeah, I mean, it all, we'll it all it comes goes. out of the, the appetite for content, which was certainly the catalyst for this podcast. Like we, myself personally, just got through listening to all podcasts at the end of a particular day, <laughs> scrolling through all Twitter, Reddit, and just feeling like I, I wasn't satiated, like I wasn't enough. Let's start a podcast. That was five years ago, and now here we are talking to you. So, um, well, you sh- I, mean, I, I, I go back to it. I know there's been uh, there's been people out there that that have railed against the idea that like non media can have a podcast or whatever. Oh, yes. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> what what a cra- what a crazy clip. Um, but yeah, like it. It's, it I I for, for someone who I, I think a lot of my coverage is geared around the idea of like I ask my friends all the time, I'm like what's interesting to you? Like what do you want to know about this team? Like because that's who we're that's our consumer. Like it, for me, it's really important to be doing stuff that people are interested in. And so you know, I'm always trying to to, to gauge feedback. So as much as uh. If you if you come at me with something critical, I'll probably block you on Twitter. But uh, no, no, I like I like I like the feedback. I read the comments. I like you know I don't care. Like I've I've got enough thick skin now. If if something's not working, I'd I'd rather fix it. But no, you guys have uh, you guys know I'm I'm a full supporter of of what y'all got going on, and uh, it's uh, it's cool to see it grow and blossom the way it has. Well, look, Chris Forsberg, we're very thankful as always for you coming on the show. We're very appreciative yes. of everything that you do and the time that you spend, and like you said, the consideration that you have of the of the appetite for content out there and how you try and accommodate that. Mm-hmm. It's it's very notable in watching you do the work that you do. So, uh, job very well done, sir, as always, and thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. And thank you for having, uh, how did I end up with the worst background out of all? I'm supposed to be a damn professional. If I shifted the camera either way, you would feel differently. This is garbage everywhere. (laughs) That is going to do it for this one. Thank you for tuning in. Remember to like, subscribe, comment, share, all of those little things to help our show are much appreciated. Huge, huge thanks to Chris Forsberg, who is always great value always super generous with his time and of course big thanks to Wayne Spoonie and Jake Eisenberg love your work guys as always we'll be back with another pod in the next few days in the meantime eight straight wins people (laughs) 